This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not, like, getting too hot or too cold or whatever. You know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind, Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it, like, doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today. You'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 257. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we patiently await the release of the new Spice Girls single. I'm your host, Nikin Farsad, and man, uh, they just don't really write lyrics like Zigga Zigga anymore. You know what I mean? That's my old person uh, get off my lawn uh, equivalent is that they is that the Spice Girls uh, represented an era that doesn't exist. Um, Today, we're going to talk about the Spice Girls of American government, naturally the Justice Department. Um, We'll also look at George Packer's categorization of America and uh, gay pride. It's happening, but not without some hubbub, which we will get into. Um, I am so excited about today's panel. Oh, my God. Rejoining us on the show. Uh, This person has been on many times for very good reason. Uh, They are editor and founder of Reductress, um, which is one of the more hilarious websites on the Internet. If you haven't already discovered it, please get thee to Reductress. Um, They also have a show at the Bell House on June 24th uh, in New York City. So if you're in town, you should absolutely go see that. Folks, it's Sarah Papalardo. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Nagin. What's up? Oh, my God. It's just good to see your face. It is just zigzag uh, to me. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Um, A line I actually never understood the meaning of at the end of the day. (laughs) It was one of the things that I repeated ad nauseum as a young lady and then never understood what it meant. Beautiful Um, nonsense. Beautiful nonsense. Uh, Folks, joining us for the very first time on the show, I'm so excited that he's here. He's a comedian. He's getting back on the road with the uh, well-read comedy tour, so you should be absolutely looking up dates and times that you can see him. Folks, for the very first time to fake the nation, the very delightful Corey Forrester. Hey, Corey. Hey, Nagin. How are you? And for the record, I was always a uh, a ginger guy, Spice Girls-wise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being upfront about that with all you got of it. us. You got it. Um, and I just want to remind listeners uh, on Patreon this week, which is posting a couple of days late because of a little thing called I was away and then didn't realize it, it uh, messed up my posting time. Um, but on Patreon this week, you're going to hear uh, Ophira 
Eisenberg and Todd Berry. Talk about how they got started. This is a question I get all the time from listeners. Like, how do people get started in podcasting and in comedy? These are very mysterious fields for people. And I've always like, you know, this isn't a show where we necessarily talk about that kind of thing. Um, But this week on Patreon, that is specifically what we're talking about. Um, Needless to say, with Todd Berry and Ophira, um, it was a hilarious conversation. Um, And so definitely uh, tune into that if you want to join Patreon. Um, I would love to have you. You can go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. You get bonus episodes of Fake the Nation. Um, You get bonus essays. You get uh, mugs, t-shirts, all, you know, um, various levels of uh, engagement. And it's, I mean, it's quite fun and wonderful. And I love, um, I love the Patreon community that we've already created. Uh, All right, let's get into it with topic number one. Okay, so we have two p- shitty pieces of residual Donnie news that actually warrant, like, a mention. First, it turns out that in 2018, the year of our Lord, uh, and a great year for presidential criminality, the Justice Department subpoenaed metadata um, from Apple related to the accounts of two Democrats, at least two, on the House Intelligence Committee, as well as aides and family members, including... A child. Um, Pelosi uh, said that Congress would be doing its own investigation and kind of hinted that Barr, Sessions, and Rosenstein, uh, you remember that cast of characters, could all receive subpoenas to testify. Um, Sarah, what do you think? Is this a waste of time or should we be doing this kind of thing? Or were you surprised by the news? I mean, I don't know. I guess let's start with that. Definitely not surprised. Uh, and, and let me just say on the, the minor front, I'm like, I've got my money on Claudia Conway on that one, actually. Yeah. <laughs> got my money on her. Um, dangerous to the yeah. whole Trump enterprise. Oh, my God. Completely. Um, I think it's it's um, this past few months has made it easy to kind of slip away from uh, remembering what things were like not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And I think it is a good reminder, although it does feel exhausting to read this all over again, it is a good reminder of what we need to fight against in 2022 and 2024. Um, and that, like, if we ever veer toward a kind of, like, whataboutism, that, like, oh, everyone's bad, like, we need to remember that the Trump administration was uniquely bad, no matter right. what. Crime, so this is Crime style. This is good to remember. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's your take, Corey? Well, I agree with Sarah, and I was actually reminded of how uniquely bad the Trump administration was the other day. I was I was doing a, a, a podcast with my buddy Trey Crowder, and he showed a clip of Trump talking at some uh, speak. Uh, he was on Zoom, and they brought him in. It was like some uh, the My Pillow guy was doing a, a show <laughs> oh, yeah, or nice. something. Yeah, fun, fun. And, okay. And they show Trump, and he comes in there, and he's talking about people that work for him contracting. He's like, you know, these contractors, they can't read, they can't write, but they're good people. And he starts <laughs> going into this, whole, and I and I, I was like, oh my god, I haven't seen this guy in so long I forgot how much of an <laughs> asshole he is and in that moment I was like man I you know I've been sitting here thinking about all my personal grievances with Joe Biden even though like I voted for him and I will probably vote for him again obviously but I was like it took me to just watch it seeing this guy for two seconds to, to it flipped the script in my head and I was just like Uncle Joe can we go get ice cream everything's better now I forgot how bad this guy was and you're right he is uniquely bad but I look at something like this and I think two things can be true I, I think that um, they need to do it but also it still is a waste of time and I mean that in the sense of like I mean right. that in the sense of you have to do it because you can't show all your cards and just be like hey by the way we're going to let people do whatever they want we're never going to investigate it but I do I'm, I'm a realist and I know that in like 20 years if I come across this same article I'm going to go Oh yeah, we didn't do sh- nothing came of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like that, it didn't matter because like, and I know, and I think Donald Trump is uniquely bad. I think he's like uh, the comparisons are always with like Richard Nixon, but when you go back and you look at Richard Nixon, you're like, yeah, that was definitely bad for the time. But like, dude, Richard Nixon can't hold a candle to this son of a bitch. But like, <laughs> nothing ever happened. The guy was still allowed to live out his days. This whole fantasy that a lot of people on the left have that like Trump's going to be in an orange jumpsuit one day. Just I've never bought into that. It's not going to happen. None of this matters. But again, let's keep the facade up because that's what America is. Yeah, it seems like it just seems like <laughs> holding them accountable is just like it's not like it's right or wrong. It's just yeah. the less bad option. Sure. Right, right. No, I know. I agree. Yeah, right. I mean, there should be a thing where it's like uh, you do something bad. You have to go explain yourself in court like that. I think makes sense. It makes sense that there would be, that Congress would subpoena. It makes all of these things make sense. I just uh 
I also like don't want to read about it. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Like, like it's like the people. The, it should all happen, and there should be repercussions. And I don't know. People should be in orange jumpsuits. Like this is criminality. This is actual, you know, criminality. Um, because also there was another. The other shit. Stupid news is that emails show that the, that Trump. I mean, again, in the world of no one is surprised that he pressured Rosen um, to put the power of the Justice Department behind lawsuits. Um, that were trying to prove the false claims that he, that there was voter fraud in the 2020 elections, right? Again, not I, I was like, oh, didn't we already know that? Like, it's just so obvious that he did something like that. And now there's just emails to prove it. Okay. Um, and, and, and I don't know what the repercussions are for that. But again, it's just like, oh, that voter fraud happening. thing. That yeah. voter fraud thing and the whole like steal the vote to me is like this double edged sword and I don't know which one's sharper of like I look at it and I go, Man, every time he opens his mouth or their their side opens their mouth about the election was stolen, like you lose a little bit more credibility and you seem a little bit more dumb because they've done so many recounts and we all know at this point it's the last grasp of a dying cause. And I'm like, good, let them do it. Let them keep saying that stuff because it makes them stu- it makes them sound stupid and maybe it'll collapse the party. But then the other side is like I'm like, Yeah, but Every time they say it, it beholdens this other group of people who, like, are the January 6th folks who were, like, clearly violent insurrectionists. So, like, I don't know. Like, part of me just wants to be like, look, let's just delete this dude from history and never talk about him again. Don't ever give him airtime. But then I'm like, that's that's the way. Like, Trump, in my opinion, was created by the people who, the, the 20-year-olds who voted for Reagan they grew up, and then we got Trump because of that. So I'm like, look at that. Let's focus on that, and in 20 years, not have someone infinitely worse. So I don't know what to do. I want to just throw my goddamn computer against the wall. I'm such a person. <laughs> well, okay. In an effort to not make this entire like kind of newsy segment about Donnie, I want to point out that Biden is on his first um, presidential uh, foreign trip, um, and and I want to take just minute about that to talk about that because he started with a group of uh seven you know wealthy democracies little you know hang um and then he did a little north atlantic treaty organization like chill um and he reaffirmed america's commitment to nato and the whole thing honestly seemed like a delightful time and a cocktail party i want to go to uh and um they and also i just want to point out there's some polls that came out looking at 12 nations surveyed this year and uh, and in 2020, um, a median of 75% expressed confidence in Biden compared to <laughs> 17% for Trump last year. Um, a median of 30, uh, 34% across 12 nations, and again, again, these are mostly our allies, had a favorable overall opinion of the U.S. last year, uh, 62% this year. Um, so the numbers, in France even, 31% apo- 31% expressed a positive opinion last year, um, matching the, the positivity rates in, in t- 2003 during the Iraq uh, war stuff. Um, this year, that rate is 65% in France. Uh, so I guess, what do you think uh, of those numbers? Like, how does it feel to you, Sarah, to like have some better numbers in the, in the, among, in the community of nations? I mean, let me offer a counterpoint. Joe Biden Please. wore sunglasses in front of Queen Elizabeth and uh, oh, frankly, that's God. unacceptable. Um, yes. <laughs> and, I agree. And, uh, and these things are obvious, right? It's like, of course, you have like a, a, a sane man who's friendly. Talk, of course, this is to be expected, and it's a good thing. Um, the disappointing thing is, of course, um, it's such an easy uh, piece of news to ignore if you have a, a political agenda. Uh, that is not pro Biden, um, and that sucks. And that you know, it, it, as much as uh, uh, foreign you know uh, views on us are, are really really important to how our country works, it has like little to no bearing on who is voting in this country. And that part right. bums me out because I think there's there's so much about like 
maintaining a brand as as a politician and a president and it's it's important but it doesn't always correlate to votes and uh, yeah, I don't know. So sorry to make that negative, but like, yeah. <laughs> I know, Corey, Corey, what is your negative take on this good news that we have better standing in the community <laughs> of nations? Well, I mean, I, I love it. I mean, I'm not like, uh, one of my biggest issues when I go to vote, because I'm a straight white man and I can just pick one, I guess, <laughs> is like, I, I do look at diplomacy a lot, especially in, in Trump's case. I like, look, man, I don't give a damn what y'all believe about this, 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 and this. Trump is dangerous to the world, and if if it, it doesn't matter what your tax bracket you're in if we get in a nuclear war. None of that matters. So, like, diplomatically, I'm going to vote for someone who I think puts the best face on for America because at a certain point, when you have the legislative branch and the congressional branch, sometimes the president literally is a face and a PR guy that goes out there. And I think Biden's better at that. I also think that when you look at something like that, it's indicative of something that I said for a long time should be policy in this country, especially in local elections, is that when you vote, when you go to vote, there should not be an R and a D besides people's names. There shouldn't be. It should just be the name because then that forces people to know who they're voting for. They, you can you can run as a Republican and Democrat, but once people get there, they can't just go R, 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 D, D, D. Right, right, right. And That's it shows not a terrible that, idea. And it shows that in other countries, let's not be naive here. They don't see they don't see the words Republican and Democrat as it pertains to America the same as we do because we're in this. We know what those means. We know what those values are. They don't, and I know that because I, I'm considering myself a decently smart person. But when I start listening to politics from other countries, I'm like, oh wait, hold on, Whig, Quaker. I don't know what none of these mean. But I'll tell you this: <laughs> that guy looks like a piece of shit, and I don't like him. I, I can look Ooh, at yes, leaders of the, other the notorious Quaker Party of Belgium. yes, you know, yeah. I can. But I'm just saying, like I could tell you that I don't like this Boris feller without knowing what party he belongs to. And right, I think right, that right. is what people, when they look at Joe Biden, they don't look, they don't see the word Democrat the same way that we do or Republican. They're just like, I like that guy. I didn't like the other guy. Their policies don't right. matter to me, but I can tell who he is. You know yeah. what I mean? It, and that's, that's important to me. It, it, it doesn't take any effort to look at Boris Johnson and be like, that guy's a grifter bullshitter, but exactly. it, but it yeah. takes an arsenal <laughs> of media to paint Joe Biden as one. And that's exactly. what right. we're up against. Right, right, right. Uh, folks, let me know what you think of America's newfound standing in uh, the world. I mean, I would say general standing in the world, minus these last four years, minus also, I guess, George Bush's eight years. We weren't doing so well, although I think it was a little bit more stable. Um, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. In the meantime, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about topic number two. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by AuraFrames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an AuraFrame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, wow. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these AuraFrames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an AuraFrame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. HeadGum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm -hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HeadGum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Today's show is sponsored by Pros. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey trying to figure out skincare and I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. 
basically every bottle of pros custom hair care and skincare, I tried the skincare just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, Um, Like I have oily skin that's also dry, which is just a fun little conundrum. I live in New York City. Like we've got these four seasons. My my face gets weird during seasonal shifts. Um, I all of these things I got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, The other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that, but we think for your skin type, creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, And this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like harsh harshness like many years because when I saw this cleanser I was like oh is this what it's supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face that's not what I've been doing so I don't know guys and here's the thing you don't have to take my word for it in a third-party double-blind dermatologist supervised controlled clinical study um, which is like the gold standard for research studies pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level if you think about it. Just it makes common sense. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% of your first subscription order at pros.com slash fake the nation will be taken off. That's Pros.com slash fake the nation. You get your free consultation and 50% off your one of a kind formulas. Uh, again, that's pros.com slash fake the nation. Go and get your just super personalized, luxurious skincare products and hair care products. That's what I'm going to try next. So, pros.com slash fake the nation. so excited to talk about this next thing. We read a piece in The Atlantic called How America Fractured into Four Parts by George Packer. And I don't know. I thought it was incredible. Um, I'm sure people have differing opinions, whatever. But I just, I I also thought it was really beautifully written. I thought it was just one of the more astute kind of um, breakdowns of the American population. And one of the best skewerings of each of those breakdowns. <laughs> like it was like broke it down, said a couple th- like maybe positive things, said a bunch of negative things. You know, it, it basically paints the picture that we all suck. And uh, let me just get into a couple of these. Um, feel free to jump in uh, with your with your understandings of what these are. So the first one was free America. Uh, that's one of the categories. It's the kind of like libertarian, um, Reagan, like let's reduce taxes, the don't tread on me. The purpose of government is to secure individual rights and little else. Um, and it's sort of what's held together, um, you know, with with Reagan's, this is what, but without Reagan's smile and the Cold War's clarity, its vision grew darker or more extreme, um, making the argument that this sort of free America thing sort of took hold um, and became like the Newt Gingrich arm of the Republican Party. It turned into like maybe some of the Tea Party, um, parts of the Republican Party. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and I, and I think that is that was that your understanding of of the free America category? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, right, like Reaganism technically on a technical level correlated with some prosperity. But then those benefits wore off really quickly because you can only cut taxes once, really. Right. Uh, Right. You you can't keep doing it. And since then, they've been running on steam. And Newt Gingrich knew that. And ideologically, they've been running on steam ever since. And I realize, you know, after reading this piece that, like, I come at that with some humility as, you know, coastal elite or whatever the, you know, the other section is. Well, let's get it. So, yeah. So let's get into that second one, Um, Corey. So the second one is Smart America, the Dom Dominates the top 10% of American incomes with outsized economic and cultural influence. Um, they're the, mer- the, the meritocrats um, of smart America. They believe that there's some government intervention is necessary for everyone to have equal chance to move up. Um, but they're also the people that are like, you know, they go to the best schools. They research um, endlessly for their toddler to go to the right preschool. Um, and they sort of set up these lines where these trajectories for their kids where they go to a certain preschool and then they end up in the Ivy League. You know what I mean? And then they end up controlling uh, many um, aspects of, uh, you know, the American economy. Um, what, Corey, what was your take on uh, Smart America? Well, I think all four of these, the through line in all of them is like, yeah, in a perfect world, all of these are fine things to believe. It's okay. Like if you, ha- but if the if the stakes were the same for everybody, these are fine. I remember in the first one, the libertarian one, I found I went, remember I, my retention's not great, but I remember when reading it, I I made the jerk off motion a lot and fart sounds with my mouth a lot. And I was like, what? Okay, what? A- yeah, of course. Of course you think that if we were just left to our own devices, it would work out. That's pretty much how it's been for white people all the time. We're just left to our own devices, the thing work out. With the second one, that one is probably the the one I relate to the most from being being where I'm from as the thing that people rail against where I'm from. And if people don't know where I'm from, you can hear this accent. Uh, I'm from Marjorie Taylor <laughs> Greene's district, District 14 here in Georgia. And that's the what people would like call the coastal elites, the one that think, you got right. to go, oh, what, I didn't go to college, so I ain't good enough for you. And I like I I get where those people are coming from because it's like, yeah, I agree that if everyone was more educated, we would live in a better world. But the way that I would like to solve that is to make tuition free and to cancel student debt. And then you say that and those people are like, no, no, no. Well, hold on. Hold on. What about my I paid off my student loans? That's right. Yes. In a perfect world, I think everybody being educated behooves every single person in this country because there's no doubt in my mind that if everyone was allowed to get an education there wouldn't be people that sound like me in prison all the time just for selling goddamn weed you know what i'm saying so yeah again it's like i agree with part of that but like that's just not realistic that's not a realistic idea it's not realistic to look at a section of people and just go well why didn't you just go to college that ain't who we live where we live well i I mean mean? it's well we'll we'll get to i'm i'm curious to know how you think we could kind of bridge these categories um Elect Bernie. (laughs) Um, Well, I think, right. I mean, well, and that's the funny thing. Bernie is a part of the smart America category, right? He's, Mm -hmm. you know, he's um, educated. He, you know, that's the thing about the smart America category is that they talk about being Mm -hmm. a fan of workers and workers' rights and um, giving people a leg up and making tuition free, right? But here's where I think the smart America thing falls apart, which is that, like, they talk about um, fairness, but it still expect, you know, Amazon deliveries at a certain time, right? Mm -hmm. And that this is where I... I do I not feel attacked understand. right now, by the way. I feel very attacked. <laughs> <laughs> and I know listener and listeners are like, oh fuck, now she's gonna talk about Amazon again. But <laughs> I look, because I don't understand why how you can be the, a progressive and still partake in th- that system um, yeah. of economy and still line the pockets of billionaires. I don't understand how we can how we can open up our Amazon boxes and have thousands, I mean, the number of boxes that come to my building a day to the quote unquote progressives in my building, right? 
Um, I just, it makes me ill, right? And it just, it, there's so many contradictions. I mean, that's the fun thing about all of these categories is they're only filled with contradictions. Um, so we'll get in, we'll get into that. I mean, did, uh, Sarah, did you have a blush of recognition when you read about the smart America category? Oh yeah. It me and my generation too. (laughs) You know, I, I mean, I feel like there's like some serious overlap with just like, what people call like the the global elite, the globalist, coastal elite, whatever you want to call it. And like, yeah, you know, we are kind of out of touch with people who aren't like us because it's inconvenient and because of the way physical space has been divided in the last 10 or 20 years, we all live in the same place. Um, it's, it's a gap that we do need to bridge and I I do wish we had more infrastructure to do it, right? Because, like, we really, I mean, personally, like, I spent uh, uh, quarantine a little bit in the country and, and actually got to talk to different people, and it was it was enlightening. Like, I may not have totally changed my mind about anything, but I understand a little bit more about where they're coming from. And again, like, I'm trying to approach this with a little bit more humility than I used to because, like, we're just culturally in such different places. Uh, okay, well, let's talk about some of the people that you may have talked about because I have a feeling they might be in category number three, which is real America. And Corey, this might actually, I don't know yeah. if you feel like how much this spoke to the people in your district. Yeah, 100%. Um, but right. So this, so this section, you know, Packer starts out talking um, at length about Sarah Palin, who sort of became a defining feature, who kind of created the discourse around real America, right? With her, with her, like, you know, the, her gun toting and she's like, you know, she's a mother of, of many children and, um, um, they hunt together and she has lots of hunting outfits that she wore and talked about. And um, and she's an enthusiastic Christian. Uh, what did you, Corey, how, how did this um, the, this description stack up to what you understand well, um, from I, your own community? I get why it works. I get why saying that on the political trail works because people want to feel validated and people want to feel like they're being recognized. And a lot of those people feel like they're not being rep. They watch TV and they're like, we're not being represented. And every time we are represented, it's just King of the Hill. And that's a cartoon. So I get that a little bit. But at the same time, and I don't want to be because I know everybody where I live thinks so you just think everything's racist. No, I don't. But I do know for a fact, every, almost every single time I have heard a politician or somebody I know say the real America, what they mean is white folk. What they that's just that's just what it is every time. And I'll tell you one thing. I lived in Dadgum Queens during the World Cup. That's the real America. You know what I'm saying? If we mm-hmm. want to talk about how we're a melting pot, then no, it ain't just one homogenized area of people trying to work at the coal mine, which is a dead industry, and being pissed off when we're trying to put solar panels up. And it ain't their fault, by the way. I'm just saying, like, none of that. I, I just know what real America is so coded. Hardworking Americans is so coded. And it's just, it's, I don't know, like, it offends me when they think they have to talk down to a group of people like that because real Americans by the way were go- like real Bernie Sanders had his biggest rally in 2016 in Kansas you know and then those people surprisingly ended up flipping for Trump but like those people were like on board with a lot of like honestly a lot of UBI ideas because they understood that their jobs were being taken away in the real those people don't give a shit about real America is what I'm saying Sarah Palin don't care about real America Donald Trump my God, are you kidding me? This silver spoon SOB don't care about real America. So every time I hear real America, I just know that that politician is about to turn around and swaddle himself in the American flag and talk about how much he loves the troops. And it's just these cliches that rile up everybody where I'm from. They end up putting it in a country song and selling it for 20 bucks to somebody at Walmart that sounds like me, and I hate it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so, okay, so then let's talk about the, the just America, which you kind of alluded to by saying everyone says you you say everything is racist. Mm-hmm. Um, so just America is a little is the kind of like woke millennial. 
They say that America has, it, you know, the essential thing about America is that it was based on racism, um, misogyny, transphobia, um, homophobia. Here's one thing Packer said that I thought was interesting. He wrote, in some versions of the narrative, the country has no positive value at all. It can never be made better. The idea, the ideas gave scholars an irresistible power, intellectual and moral, to criticize institutions in which they were comfortably embedded. Um, so, so I think that's the other interesting thing. I feel like there, I mean, there's obviously a lot of car crossover between just America and smart America. Um, I, you know, as listeners know, I have two master's degrees, one in African-American studies and one in public policy. And um, I was well-versed in a lot of the, dis like, the talk of, of just America, the, like, holding space and intersectionality and this is patriarchal and that's problematic. All of those words were, like, the things that I used to say when I went to grad school. But it wasn't until 2014 in Ferguson that they became mainstream and mm. then none of those people actually, you know, they didn't learn the terms because they had classes with men. Marable or whatever, right? Um, and so it's kind of like taking these words out of academia and, and affixing them to mainstream. Uh, Sarah, what did you think of this description? It was painfully on point. And it's, it's interesting that you, you said that they're probably very similar to smart America or at least run in the same circles. But I would also argue that they're kind of straddling between smart America and real America in the sense that mm. culturally they may align more with smart America, but um, financially, in terms of economic security, probably have a lot more in common with quote unquote real America. And I think, you know, that divide is because of this manufactured culture war between real America and, and you know, this precarious, you know, class of, of workers, right? And, the, the, you know, it's not, it, I think what's interesting about this class is like, one, it, it, it's really all like all of these gig workers that we have seen in the past like 10 or 20 years who maybe are like college educated and, um, you know, thought maybe that like life was going to be set for them. And then they found out that they're mired in student debt and they're working for, you know, DoorDash or something like that. And that friggin' sucks. Like their, their lifestyles are precarious. And I think that that is a huge part of just like. And they're looking like and they're looking for something to blame and the something to blame is systemic racism. Is that was Yeah, that I mean, you... honestly, I think these two things are, like, intricately tied because, like, it is the system. The system is the problem. It's like a, it's a neoliberal system that has worked in some for some people and not worked for others. And it's a valid criticism. And, and, you know, people have said it in various ways. But I think that the only thing really dividing them from real America is just the culture war. And that's it. Well, the interesting one thing, though, that I thought was interesting, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, Corey, was that when they when he talked about um, Just America, he said part of the problem with Just America um, and the people who are sort of like leading the narrative charge of it is that they, you know, with, when slogans like defund the police became were popularized, they didn't go to working class black and Latino neighborhoods to see if defund the police was something that they would want. And I just like, you know, I'm very active in my neighborhood. My husband is very active in the neighborhood, has, has volunteered in the projects. And he, it, he regularly talks to I many. He's also black and he talks to working class black folk who have absolutely no interest. I mean, this is, I, I would say, overwhelmingly in our area, they have absolutely no interest in the term defund the police. They were like, no, no, no. We want as many police. We want them to just like be better, you know, but we don't want few. We don't want, you know, like that's so they're So it's like this whole movement is sort of like about them, but it didn't necessarily include all of their um, input. Uh, you know what I mean? So, Corey, what do you think? I'm actually really glad that you brought up that specific defund the police because that's that's what I wanted to talk about. And uh, this is going to come as uh, no shock to anyone who is listening to my accent as a uh, small town country boy. I've always had sort of a problem with complicated language, not necessarily me understanding it, but just trying to get your point across. And and because when people that like intellectual liberals will be saying something, and I'll be like, Hey, uh, I hear you. I know what that means. But a lot of people don't 
they're going to need that a little bit different. And they'll be like, well, you know, it's not my job to speak to the lowest common denominator. Then I'm like, oh, so we're just talking to each other then. We're just jerking each other off. And it's like, you, so who are you trying to get your point across to? <laughs> Why even say right. it if you don't care if anybody understands it? And defund the police is one of those things that when it got brought up, because I decided to read the article, I was like, oh, an allocation of funds and taking it from this and restructuring the thing from the ground up and uh, making sure that we have uh, more, you know, more competent uh, officers that are trained to uh, uh, de-escalate a situation instead of eradicate one. Yes, I'm for that. But you have to understand, you have to understand that most people aren't going to read the article. You just have to understand that. It sucks that they don't. I hate that they don't. I wish they would. I want to hit them in the head with a baseball bat when they don't. But that's not, that don't matter. They ain't going to. So when you say something like defund the police, people are absolutely going to take that at face value and go, they don't want the police to have no money? How would that work? So, yeah, I get it when the point don't get across and some of these people get frustrated. I do think that if you actually came up with, like, if you just, like, because when I read it and I was like, oh, the reallocation of funds, say that! <laughs> say that shit! <laughs> don't quit it! Quit with that shit! Like, they don't get that word, and that don't mean they're dumb, right. by the way. Like, when I when I first heard it, if I didn't click the article and I just took it at face value, defund, take funds away, police, the goddamn cops, take funds away from the cops. That's what I think. You know, and I don't, but that's so, yeah, I do have a problem with people who they want these people want to impress their scholarly friends instead of winning. Well, and one of the things it, Packer says, he says the parameters of acceptable expression are a lot narrower than they used to be with, uh, you know, with just America that, that you know, that it, it, it's created this inability. I think it also has you know, given pro- progressive leaders a problem because it like doesn't allow them to be nuanced in a way, mm-hmm. you know, like if AOC were to like to step away from the term defund the police, like she would just be, you know, skewered for something like that, for, for sure. an evolution in just the way she talks about it. Right. We've done that to people. Um, we made we've made it so difficult for them to be uh, nuanced and just like a little bit have more words <laughs> to discuss it. You know what I mean? Um, and AOC so, is AOC's damned if she does, damned if she don't. Right. With, uh, so mean, many of those people. Win. She, she can't, can't win, and, and it's really our fault that she can't yeah, win. We for created sure. a thing around her, and people like her in the squad or whatever. And they'll, and there's no way they can stand up to that kind of national pressure, right? Yeah. Um, where? So, did you feel like there was any? Uh, I guess it was a little bit of a dark article. Um, Sarah, did you? What did, what did it leave you feeling? Uh, it, it reminded me that politically, you know, we may have two parties, but what's happening underneath that is is a lot slipperier. Um, and I think it's important to watch that because I think sometimes when we fall in the old lines of like being a Democrat means this and being a Republican means that, like we lose sight of this, what this is article really like insightfully laid out, which is that there's a lot of shifting perspectives right now. And part of it's culture and, and what we've been fed from the media and part of it's our economic security, um, and with some other stuff mixed in between. But I think... I think what this is articulating is that, you know, we have a responsibility to bridge together some of these gaps that are not that are really just very surface level to me um, and that we should work harder to, to talk to people outside of smart America. Uh, Corey? Yeah, I mean, when I read it, like I've always been I'm most people with a brain are like man the two-party system ain't good because nobody's one thing or nobody's the other so then i click up an article i'm like oh good we're one of four you know that's awesome uh that but that's this is my own personal bias and i need to get over it but like i'm i have a chip on my shoulder of like being put in any kind of box because uh and it, it you know like woe is me little little southern white man or whatever but like anytime you know when people hear my accent they're like oh this guy is this you know mm-hmm. so i'm always real sensitive to when it happens to anybody i'm like just because you're this don't mean you're this so like i almost hate lists like this but at the same time i think a lot of this is projection because i saw myself in all of these <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie like there was some part where i was like Corey, i know why you're mad right now that this this hit a little too close to home so i mean i do think it was a great it was a great article great read i'd, I'd recommend it 
Yeah, I thought it was a really a, a tremendous piece. And I was left thinking about every category because, like I said, he skewers every category. It's not like mm. he lays this out and, and, sure. and, and presents one of them as being some kind of good category. Everyone gets skewered. Um, and I thought that one through line for all four categories was that it seems to me that everyone should stop thinking about themselves. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, and that, like, you know, there's not like, one solution I, to any of these. Pro- no. Everyone thinks they have the solution and it's not... That just can't no, be No, there's way. not one there's not one solution, but I think that one thing that could really work though is just stop to look we should not be so fixated on ourselves and our personal rights and our families and how well our families do. Like I I I really want to get to the point as a person. It is my goal to think of not just my family and how well my family's doing, but just to think that Sarah's my family and Corey's my family. You're that we're it's I know it's so kumbaya, it's so embarrassing. But one of the it just felt like none of these people, none of these categories have a remote sense of that kumbaya. It felt so individualistic. And that I think is it's like what's sort of like killing us. And it's made worse, right, with the internet and all that, the deterioration of the Rotary Club and all the shit, the bowling leagues and all the shit that used to make Americans come together. So I kind of think, know. though, like that's really mainly on me, like people that look like me, like white dudes. I think we're the ones that have to do that because to me, it's like I think black people and women and gay people absolutely should look out for themselves and vote for whoever represents them the best because, but like, as me, like, I, I I've, I remember having an argument with like my friends over Trump like four years ago. They were like, dude, I don't get it. Like This policy works better for you. This policy works better for you. Da, 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 da. And I was like, yeah, I'm not voting for me this go around <laughs> because like all this other stuff. Like I'm a white dude. No matter – I'm a white dude who makes a decent living, more than decent to most people. No matter what, who's president, I genuinely will have the same life next year. That's not right. true for everybody else though. Right. You right, know what I mean? Right. So like I would never – I I just couldn't fault someone who was like, yeah, technically this candidate would be better for the larger population, but they want to send gay people to electroshock therapy and I'm gay. So I could be like, yeah, you know what? You should do you should do that. You should vote with that other guy. Like, I don't know. It's just I feel right. like I'm on a different team there. I, I, I totally hear you. And I think I mean, look, I, but as like a Muslim um, and again, I even fucking hate starting sentences that way. Uh, like I want to stop doing that because I feel like it sets me apart and I'm looking for some legitimacy for my argument because I'm like, as a Muslim. but like whatever I think. Like, you know, again, just seeing, like, my husband volunteer in the, in the projects and stuff like that, it, these are things. Like, you see neighbors thinking not about that. These are people that have no money. They have nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Brown and black people who have nothing that then volunteer to hand out f- food to other people who have nothing. That is thinking outside yourself, you know what sure. I mean? And really being, like, a true citizen. I think that, well, and he ended on this point that like citizen isn't really in the conversation anymore for a lot of these categories. And, um, and, and that to me, you know, is, uh, and so I think even when we're talking about marginalized groups, um, you know, like it's like the, the best, uh, you know, marginalized people, the best Muslims I know are the ones that don't think about their themselves and only themselves when they're like voting. Yes. So I, 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 I hear you, Corey. I think that's like admirable that you, you know. Well, I feel like I always have to overcorrect. I'll be straightforward with you. I'm like, okay, Corey, you got to be way better. And so, yeah, no, you're, you're probably right. I think there's a good, um, there's a good yeah. happy medium, though. It's, it's, yeah. it's the thought that like, hey, this bad thing happened to my community. I want to make sure it doesn't happen to any other community, not just mine, but anyone else's. Right, right, right. Um, folks, I could talk about this all day. I really want listeners of Fake the Nation to read this article. Again, it's by George Packer in The Atlantic. It's so fascinating. Hit me up on all of the social medias that we should not be on. And instead, we should be out there talking to our neighbors, um, as you know. But I'm so curious. Uh, let us move on to topic number three. So I want to talk about gay pride parades. Um, this is obviously Pride Month. Um, you know, the, the one in NYC is like the big 
kahuna, but there's obviously there's parades everywhere. Um, there's a self-examination of the parade going on um, in the last few years um, about it, whether it's too corporate. Uh, Sarah, what what is your take on like what is your relationship to um, the Pride Parade? Uh, let's see. I have only gone when invited to something really specific because the corporate thing has like not been my vibe for the past 20 years or so. Yeah, it's not so great. (laughs) And I think, you know, the current conversation around cops being at Pride is really an extension of that, that like we are getting kind of the more we learn, the more we're getting like farther and farther away from the spirit of of Pride. Um, And I think that the, the police issue uh, at Pride is really like, it's forcing us to ask some really important questions. So like, can you can you lay out the police issue for people who may have missed it? Sure. Uh, so basically, for a few years now, uh, various groups have criticized the police presence at Pride because the police have been very harmful to the queer community, especially trans people and trans women, uh, trans black women. And... Um, what else? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the big one. They've been very harmful, and Stonewall was inherently a riot against police. So the irony there goes back pretty pretty far. Um, uh, uh, but and just to, to clarify too that um, LGBTQ officers have been marching in uniform um, since 1996. Uh, so it's you know they've been marching with the parade for a long time, um, and now the idea is that they shouldn't be allowed to march. Yeah. And I I think it actually ties a lot into what we were saying with the last article, too, in terms of like where we're kind of setting working class gay cops against, you know, I'm putting this in big air quotes, but the woke left. Right. Um, It's I I can I can understand why um, cops want to be there in uniform, but also like being a cop is not an identity like. I don't, if I were a doctor, I wouldn't be like, I need to be gay in my scrubs at Pride. Like, no, that's just a fetish then. Like, I don't need to do that. But it's just like, you know, we don't need, there is a way to be a cop at Pride without harming and and making other people around you afraid. Right, like you're in your civilian wear. Exactly. Or whatever. Um, I guess my question is, was it ever considered like an achievement that there there could be out and proud um, cops? It like, was. was that ever seen as, like, something, you know? Absolutely. And I, I think this is this goes along with the representation discussion that we're having around, like, like, Hamilton or something like that, where, like, merely having, like, a black person on stage or merely having queer people in a parade was in itself an achievement at a certain point in our political, you know, march toward justice. But now right. we're questioning all of those things and saying, well, what what does it mean to have a, a cop at pride in uniform? Um, are they now part of the system that's oppressing um, the rest of the queer community? I mean, we're seeing that in the queer community at large. Like, are we still the big tent that we were in the 90s? Like, we're seeing so much division in anti-trans sentiments along cis, straight, gay people and lesbians that, you know, the tent, maybe the big tent metaphor doesn't, isn't relevant anymore. I don't know. There are probably enough cis white gay men who have turned Republican in the past five or 10 years that maybe it's just time to admit like, okay, the queer community maybe is not out looking out for each other as much as they used to, because some of us have gained too much power and we all need to like, look at this a lot more critically. Uh, Corey, I'm not gay, um, so this is not like, you know, <laughs> my, you know, I, I, I don't know where you are, um, but Mayor de Blasio said that not including police um, in the parade was a form of a discrimination unto itself. Uh, what, what did you think of de Blasio's reaction to that? Well, first off, uh, I got to say, if I'd have gone first, after hearing Sarah, I was like, oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I would have been like, oh, well, you know, it's, this, this should be cool to have the cop there because it's like, hey, look, you know, not all cops. These are it's a good example to set. But hearing that, I'm like, yeah, actually, that kind of checks out. And usually I defer anytime there is a LGBTQ uh, situation and, and somebody wants my opinion. I'm like, well, what are most 
of them think I'll go with that because uh, it's not it's not my, you know it's not my place. But with right. De Blasio, they're like I think that goes back to Sarah's point is like being a cop's not an identity like it's not discrimination like there's no such thing as a blue life you get to take that shit off you know like that's just i don't know that kind of sounds insane to me um yeah I, I don't know that obviously there's a lot of nuance there but it just feels like i've only been i've been to pride one time and it was uh, on accident and i don't mean that the way it sounds i don't mean like oh no this is happening at me <laughs> i just mean i just mean that i didn't know i didn't know i didn't know it was going to happen i'd not been in new york that long and i was walking to work and i was walking through chelsea cuz i always walk through chelsea cuz it's so beautiful and uh, that that particular gay pride parade coincided it was 2015 and it coincided with the legalization of gay marriage and I remember it just happened. Oh, yeah. I was like, and and it was so beautiful, and everybody was so happy, and they were crying. And I remember I had my little backpack on. I was running around just high fiving gay dudes, and I was like, I was like, this is awesome. This is the greatest thing in the world. So I could see, you know, that group of people being like, yeah, we don't really want there to be cops here because they have a history of making us feel unsafe. And hell, even as a white dude from the South, I got to tell you, there's never been a situation where cops showed up and I was like, we're safe. You know what I mean? Like, we're good. <laughs> we're good. I'm always like, get the fuck out of here. We stole something. But like, but so like, yeah, I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta agree with, with that point. As far as the, the corporate thing goes, I, I always have been like a little on the fence about that. And my first thoughts on it were like when, when Colin, when Nike was doing all this stuff with Colin Kaepernick and there was a lot of people like, man, you know, this is bullshit. Uh, Nike don't really care about black people's rights. They're just doing this with Colin Kaepernick because that they think it's a good PR move. And I'm like, okay. I hear you. I agree with you. But two things can also be true. I believe that. But don't you think it's good that society has gotten to the point where a corporation thinks that it behooves their best interest to side with something that is morally right? Because used to, they'd stay out of it completely in the interest of their stockholders. And now people are accepting like, hey, I think the world might be getting better and we should reflect that corporately so like i could see that's one of the times that i will use the phrase i can see both sides of the argument and not feel like a dickhead <laughs> so that's that's how i feel no and i think you're right because i mean the thing with corporate involvement as well is like we saw in north carolina in the bathroom bill there that corporate involvement it, 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 like, you know the nba pulling out on all that stuff i don't exactly remember all the the groups that pulled out of north carolina as a result but that really shifted things right because yeah. they have leverage because corporate Corporations have leverage. Again, should they have so much fucking leverage? Should you be lining the right. pockets of billionaires? As again, I want to go back to like no. But now that uh, we were in this system where they do have leverage, um, they what their involvement can amount to change, which is crazy, um, but true. And so I think uh, the you know corporate stance is both good and bad, right? Um, and you know, one thing I wanted to ask Sarah is like. Uh, you know, there was a splinter movement in the Women's March, um, if you'll recall. Um, when was the last one? I guess 2020 before the pandemic? I don't remember. But it was like there was two marches and it was confusing and some people were being criticized for something and I don't know. Um, and honestly, I couldn't follow the infighting. Um, and I, I, I was sort of left not knowing where to march or what to do or who to support or who not to support or whatever. Um, and it felt like we had a little moment of like political power with the women's marches that had proceeded, um, because they did feel more unified and, uh, and then it felt like, I don't know where, where this goes. Uh, do you worry a little bit about the political power that might you know, be lost um, as a result of some of these groups kind of um, splintering. Yeah. Yes. Because I think this is like the gay and, and queer and trans rights issue is just like one example of, of many of these things happening, like to bring in like Diane Morales's campaign that is no more. Like there is a lot of infighting between kind of progressive values and, and, we all know we can get farther together, but what do we have to sacrifice? What do the least of us have to sacrifice in order to maintain that unity? I don't right. know if what's good or bad. I don't, I, I, it's so hard to say. 
But I think it's good that we should all be asking ourselves that question if we're part of, you know, a progressive group that like, what are we willing to die on a hill for and what can we push aside in the for the sake of unity? I, I think we all need to be asking ourselves that. Uh, all right. Let me know, folks. What do you think about this issue? Um, what's happening in the, you know, the pride parades in your hometown? Um, hit me up. Um, all right, folks, that is the end of the show. Thanks so much for joining me. You're both so delightful. I could have talked for hours. Um, the question on all of our minds is, uh, Sarah, how do people find you and all of the wonderful things that you're doing? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at your papalardo. I'll just let you guess how to spell that. Uh, and you can <laughs> check Reductress out at Reductress on all the social medias. Oh my gosh! And don't forget, she's uh, they're at the Bell House on what is that? Yeah, we have a uh, Reductress has a show at the Bell House on Thursday, June twenty fourth at seven thirty. Uh, there's still a few tickets left at the Bell House website. Um, and Corey, where do people find you? Uh, if you Google my name, stuff pops up. Corey Ryan Forster. You can just go to CoreyRyanForster dot com, and that's where all my socials are. I honestly can't remember what. I think it's all at Corey R Forster, but just you know, Google. I, I'm on all the stuff, and uh, I'm back on tour July tenth in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Variety Playhouse, and uh, July twenty third and twenty fourth in Birmingham, Alabama, at the Star Dome, and then there's some others. We're working on uh, coming everywhere. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Oh my god, that's so exciting! It just sounds so normal and delightful, and Mm-hmm. I, I hope hopefully you'll make it to New York and I get to see you. Um, we usually do Caroline, so I hope to see you there. Uh, oh, yeah. So great. Um, and I all, you know, I just wanted to, I, I mentioned this piece before, but um, in case people were interested uh, in that conversation that we were having about the four categories and my, uh, I wrote a, you know, what was meant to be sort of like a funny but uh, but still real take on shopping in person. Um, again, my never-ending battle against um, online shopping. Um you, I, you and me both, girlfriend, <laughs> I promise. Um, I uh, wrote a piece for the Progressive magazine uh, called Doing It in Person. So check that out, Doing It in Person. It's in my column, uh, Hemming and Hawing in the Progressive magazine. Um, but what I would really like to do now is thank everybody who makes this show possible. That's our producer, Julia Linden, our sound engineer, Stephanie Aguilar, and all the wonderful people at HeadGum. Our theme music was written by Gabby Alter. And as always, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Email us at fakethenation at HeadGum. Com. Join the Patreon for bonus content at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. Um, and, you know, we'll be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.